Welcome to Adequate Yearly Progress, Episode 16. My name is Erin Sterling, and I'm the librarian at Eckstein Middle School in Seattle, Washington. Every episode, I interview a different teacher and find out why they became a teacher, what they like about it, and what they don't like about it. In this episode, I interview Anne Dane, another middle school librarian. Anne and I actually went to the University of Washington's Library and Information Science Master's program together. Also, Anne was one of the previous librarians for Eckstein Middle School, where I work, before moving to Einstein Middle School to be the librarian there. In fact, I credit Anne with getting me my job. Listen to Anne talk about how she reaches reluctant readers, why being a teacher librarian is the best profession, and how she engages with the public librarian through a books and pizza program and a writing program. All right, let's go. Hi, Anne. I'm glad you're on my show. For everyone listening, this is Anne Dame, and she used to be the librarian at Eckstein, where I'm currently at, and is now a librarian at Einstein Middle School, and just got a chance to follow me today, so I'm really excited to have her here. I'm glad to be here. All right, so Anne, could you tell me about yourself and why you became a teacher, and then also why you specifically became a teacher librarian? Sure. So if you had asked me when I was a kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would probably have answered either to be an opera singer or to be a minister. Neither one of these things really sounds like teacher, but um, at some point in there, trying to figure out where I wanted to go to college and what I was going to study, the many, many teachers in my family obviously put their influence on me, and I was like, oh, you know... I think teaching is where I want to go, and so that's what I did my undergraduate work in. When I graduated, I never actually was able to get a job in my field, even though I had both a biology and an English major, so I thought with the sciences and the language arts combo, like, I could go anywhere. Didn't happen, so I taught preschool for a while, I taught adult education for a while, and those were all good, I liked them. Um, But then life happens, and I got to a point where that isn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I started working at REI, of all places, and one of my friends said, Hey, I just finished this graduate program, and I think you would really like it. I said, Okay, well, cool. Tell me about it. What is it? She's like, Well, I went to the University of Washington, and I did their Master of Library and Information Science program. I was like, Ooh, that sounds amazing. I could tie up my love of teaching and working with students and my love of literature and books and working with technology all in one place. And so I applied to library school and now I'm a teacher librarian. That's so cool. I knew part of your story. So was it, were you hoping for high school originally? Was that with the science and English? Middle school. I did my student teaching in middle school. Middle schoolers are my people. What attracts you about middle school? Um, I think it's because I'm still on the same level as them. Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> we find the same things funny and cool, and they're still curious about things, and I just I enjoy them and their insights and humor. They're great. And you're in Seattle now. Were you when you were looking for teaching jobs when you graduated from college? Were, were you in Seattle at that point? I was not. I actually grew up in Michigan, went to undergraduate college in Michigan, but when I finished that, I was fairly willing to travel. So I applied 
in lots of places around the country and couldn't find anything. I think part of that was the job market at the time, but also because I finished school in December. I subbed for a while, hated it, and mm. said I need to find something else for now. And so then I just got sidetracked into other things. Mm -hmm. So what's being a librarian like? It's different every day. Like, there's no way to just sum it up. Like, one day I'll be doing book talks. Another day we'll be doing podcasts. Another day I might actually have time to, like, weed the collection. I, I just never know, and I think that's one of the things that I love about it so much. Is it what you expected it to be after going to library school and having kind of the teacher education background? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's also... Both of the places where I've been a teacher librarian have been flexible enough to let me adapt to the programs a little bit, too, so I can make it to be what I want it to be. Right, right. Um, and so, kind of speaking, and you spoke to this a little bit, but what do you find rewarding about being a librarian? Oh, so many things. The other day I actually had two students come up to me like on the same day and pretty close to the same time who were just like, Miss Dame, you gave me this book and it was so great. I loved it. Um, so that's always rewarding when you can match up a, a kid with a book or especially like those girls were both already readers. Right. But there's also one boy who, not a reader, I mean he could read but just was reluctant, didn't like it, didn't want to do it. And I made it my mission. I'm like, I know there's a book out there. I'm going to find that book. And so I gave him, we were here by Matt De La Pena. And that was the book. And he told all of his friends about it. And I had to buy more copies of the book because so many people wanted it. It was awesome. That's so great. And Matt La Pena is such an amazing speaker. I forget, did you have you ever heard him speak? I have not, and I've heard he's amazing, and I want him to come to my school. So, Matt yeah. La Pena, <laughs> if you ever hear this, please get in touch with me. Yeah, if you ever have the chance to get Matt La Pena, he was amazing. He lives in New York, but I just happened to look up. Nice. Um, were there any early challenges for you in teaching? And that could even be kind of way back when you were in preschool, or challenges of being a librarian in particular, since that's really been your most recent experience? Um, there's always challenges about teaching. I think my big one is the conception that so many people have about what it is that teachers do and that our job is easy and we get so much time off. Um, and I'm horrified, as so many other teachers are, by the lack of funding for something as important as schools and education. Like, these are our future. Like, why would we not want to adequately fund them? Um, so, like, don't even get me started on the how much money sports players make versus a teacher salary and what we do. And yeah. <laughs> so, speaking to that, but that um, <laughs> yeah, other challenges, I guess, are just um, some of it is very political and bureaucratic, and how much is tied up with teacher evaluations and whether students score well on tests affect our actual evaluations to try to judge if we're actually doing our jobs well or not. Um, another challenge is the, the budget thing, which I've talked about. Um, and then a challenge also is time. Like, I don't think the kids could handle a longer school day, but that there's still so much that it's so important to teach them 
and it just seems like there's never enough time to actually get it all done. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Can't even imagine uh, having enough time. That would be crazy. Yeah. Uh, and what was your experience like going to school? And has, has that influenced your practice currently? Oh, probably. I hated school. I was a very good student, but I did not have friends. Um, I was picked on and teased. And so I guess part of it for me, too, then, is to make sure that people are accepted and that school is a safe place for them and that they just feel valued and accepted. Mm -hmm. What are the ways that you help to make your library a safe space? Um, well, I guess it's just little things. Like, there's a group of kids that comes in during lunch and they go to the back tables and play Magic the Gathering. And I don't allow anyone to interrupt them and they know it, they can do it and nobody's going to make fun of them. Um, I have books that reflect many different lifestyles and choices. So, like, my books reflect the races of students who are in my school. Um, they reflect different life experiences, whether, you know, so like books about drugs and alcohol dependency, um, sexual orientation, just hopefully that each person can find something that they relate to somehow. And since you mentioned books, do you have a few favorites that you've read recently or favorites in general? Um, well, favorites in general, Graceling by Kristen Kishore has been one of my favorites ever since I read it. Like, it's just this amazing kick-butt, strong girl character, lots of action and adventure, a little bit of romance. I mean, it's just, it's a, a fabulous book. It is my go-to fantasy book. Yeah, <laughs> mine too. To, I've been talking <laughs> constantly, and then usually they're like, you've told us about it like three times. <laughs> <laughs> um... My go-to for reluctant readers, like I talked about now, is We Were Here by Matt De La Pena, because I know it, it tends to draw kids in. Um, my favorite grown-up book for the moment is All the Light We Cannot See. Um, I bought it for my mom for Christmas, and I wasn't going to read it before I gave it to her. It had just gotten enough good reviews, and I read the thing, and I was like, oh, yeah, my mom will like this. Well, then I saw it on a friend's bookshelf, and I'm like, what did you think? And she was like, it's amazing. And so I started reading it on the plane <laughs> and um, actually started like reading it in the car with my mom, also in the car. Trying... Yeah. It... So that's probably my favorite grown-up book right now. <laughs> um, a favorite memoir, just because I'm thinking of it. And it was actually recommended to me first by a student from here at Eckstein. Oh, um, and it's called... Uh, Glass Castles. It's the oh, yeah. memoir by Jeanette Walls. So and uh, talk about putting the fun in dysfunctional in a family. Yeah. I just was amazed by how this girl was excited about sleeping in a cardboard box at night because one night it would be a spaceship and the next it would be a train and then something else. And I'm just like, uh, wait a minute, that's abuse and neglect. And she's like, okay, so it wasn't a typical childhood, but I also learned a lot. And I was like, Wow, that's cool. So, great book. I like that one, too. Yeah. I know. I love getting student suggestions from uh, of books. Shadowfell? Have you read Shadowfell? Not yet. Okay. Go and read it. That was a book recommended to me by an Eckstein student who's now in high school. Um, who said, it's really good. You have to read it. And I read it. Super great kind of fantasy book for kids who have read Graceling, who've read The Selection, who've read City of Bones. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different. It's more kind of pure fantasy, but right. it's basically a girl who's father's an alcoholic and gambler and he gambles away her 
Oh. She has to go. And so she's like, you know, essentially bought by this guy who is creepy and mysterious and she wants to get away from him and she's trying to get to this mysterious place called Shadowfell that she's not sure exists. But it's a great kind of journey adventure book. Um, and I wouldn't have known about it except for a student recommending it to me. Right. So Okay, it's totally on my list now. What strategies do you have for managing the classroom, especially since you're the librarian and see all the students rather than just having your... 150 students. Right, I only have 720. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, One strategy is that, and it's just one of the fabulous things about my district also, but that the teachers are also there with me, and typically the teachers are then also engaged and can help me with names and classroom management and those sorts of things. Um, but I think I use the strategies that lots of teachers do. Like I'll move closer to somebody who might be talking too much. Or um, I think also just I do try to learn their names so that I have that connection with them and can pull them back in. Yeah, names are so powerful. And it is yeah. one of my weaknesses I'm trying to work on, but it's hard. How do you collaborate with colleagues in your building or with other librarians? Um, when I was in the Seattle schools here at Eckstein, it was a little bit easier to collaborate with other middle school librarians just because there were more than two of us. Um, Shoreline's a small district. There are two middle school librarians. So I can't be like, hey, everybody, what are you doing with this and such? Any ideas about this or that? And I'd get like 10 different responses. And now I'm just like, so, Sue, what are you doing with this? Um, and luckily I still have some relationships with my Seattle peeps and can um, get together with them that way. Um, one of the ways that I get uh, collaborate with my staff is just knowing what their curriculum is and being able to go and talk to them and say, hey, I know that you're starting the Civil War unit now. You know, is there any way that we could work together? Do you want me to pull some books for you? What do you think about um, doing a project on this? Can I come in and do a 10-minute mini lesson? Um, The 8th grade social studies team did just have me come in and do um, a quick unit on paraphrasing with their students in an attempt to get them away from plagiarism. Like, how do you restate this in a way that's your own words but still gets the idea across and um, I did it first with one teacher and then by word of mouth from that teacher being like this was such a great lesson to her colleagues they're like hey when you can you come into my room and do that so that's one way is developing those kind of relationships and if a new staff person comes in like I make sure to like meet them and talk with them and tell them all the things that I can do to help them out, and they're more open, perhaps, than somebody who's been there for longer. Mm-hmm. Are there ways that you keep notice of what are best practices in the field, and specifically around like technology, which is constantly changing for <laughs> us librarians, and being the person, the go-to person oftentimes? So how do you stay on top of either new best practices in librarian field, but also within teaching? Um, I have to say that um, Chris Gustafson is my go-to person. I don't know what I'm going to do after she retires after next year. Us neither. Um, I'm very sad about that. Happy for her, but I think it's a huge loss for, for the rest of us. Um, I'm not really very good about like reading blogs or um, things like that, but I'm 
also willing to try new things. And mm -hmm. I do have a very tech savvy district. So we have enough Chromebooks and MacBooks within my building that it's easy to do technology with kids because we're not scrambling for resources that way. Right. Yeah, that's a big thing. We've actually, there's, we got a lot of carts this year, so it's been an improvement because people can actually get some of the technology. But <laughs> it is hard with certain things where you want to be collaborative online and yet do so in a way that is protecting kids' privacy while right. also being able to capitalize on the things that they already know how to do. Right, That's and sometimes you get time. burned on tech. Like, I wrote a grant and got 15 Kindles, and I was like, I'm really going to use these with, like, my ELL kids and my struggling readers, and it'll be great because nobody will know that they're still reading, you know, yeah, lower-grade books. Ones, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then even though I tried to tell my district some of the ways of setting them up that I know work in this district, for example, because I had talked to Chris and knew what was working, um, my district didn't listen, and they're like, nope, we're going to do it this way. And so my Kindles basically sit in a drawer because by adding books to my account, somehow they ended up on, they can also be accessed, all of my books can be accessed by the elementary school Kindles because they're all kind of on this wow. same thing. And so we don't want parents, like, reading it, complaining because their third grader is reading Swim the Fly that I bought for my <laughs> middle school students. So yeah, it's perfectly appropriate. Yeah, yeah so it's really sad. That tech is just kind of sitting in a drawer. Bummer. Yes. Yeah. What are moments that have made you feel like I'm in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time? Either lessons that have gone as planned, or I know you've done really cool collaborative work with the local teen public librarian or your cool after school writing clubs or there are lots of cool things you're doing <laughs> i kind of feel like every day is the the thing that says yes this is where you're <laughs> supposed to be even if it's a really hard day i i can't imagine myself doing anything else uh, there are some really cool things going on at my school, though. I have a great collaborative relationship, I guess, uh, with the teen librarian from the Richmond Beach branch of King County Libraries, and we've come up with a couple of after-school clubs. The first one is Pizza and Books, and it's pretty much just what it sounds like. We sit around, we eat pizza, and we talk about books, and it's awesome. And then the other after-school group that we do is called the Write Stuff, and it is a writing club, and we've been able to um, like bring in a, a web comic writer and um, a poet who's also an editor came in and talked about the, the writing process. We're getting ready to um, do some iPad movie making. So working with her is fabulous, and I highly recommend that school-public library relationship. It's fabulous that's really fun with the pizza and books do you have students like do students just come with questions prepared or or come with books to talk about how's that oh so it? it's not like a book club where okay and this month we're all gonna read ender's game and then we're gonna talk about it it's completely open so you come in and you should have a book or two that you're ready to talk about um and then we just kind of go around the room and um we just start and give a basic plot summary first, and then with but with no spoilers. That's very <laughs> important. Um, and then 
there's a couple of questions that Aaron and I always ask because we end up sending out a list afterwards and we want to give warnings if needed about mm -hmm. different contexts. So we different content. So we always ask them if there are sexual situations or teen drugs and drinking, um, if there's a lot of violence and blood and gore, just some of those content things that might be an issue for different values and cultures and beliefs and religions, and we want to honor that and mm -hmm. not have somebody be surprised when they pick up a book. Do you find kids are comfortable talking about that, or do they become more comfortable? You know, they are pretty comfortable about it. Sometimes they get a little giggly and embarrassed, but really for the most part, because Aaron and I are very matter-of-fact about it, we're like, hey, you know, so are there, you know, naked body parts? Are there... <laughs> and they're like, oh, um, no, but there is a blowjob. Oh, okay, well, that's good to know. Right, that's helpful. Yeah. What advice do you have for people who are thinking about becoming teachers? Do it. <laughs> and specifically teacher librarians. Oh, do it even more. <laughs> um, it's a little bit tricky for teacher librarians right now. So many schools are having budget issues and whatever, and it seems like arts and libraries and music are the places where it gets cut. Um, but if you can get into a school and just – it's such a valuable part of any school, and hopefully it won't be this issue, but just the – a number of students that you're able to reach and it's just so important that they have these skills. I mean, we talk a lot about reading, but teacher librarians also do a lot of stuff about um, citing sources and finding credible, reliable sources. And especially with the internet, you can find so many things. And for students to be able to look at things and know that, oh, well, this is an opinion that a person has Whereas this is a fact about this product or this um, news article. It's just, it's so, so important. How do you work with students who are struggling or reach out to reluctant readers, as they sometimes say in the profession? Um, I think a lot of it is that personal relationship. Like we said, there's power in the name, um, but knowing more about them than just their name, you know, like... Do they have siblings when they go home from school? Do they have to cook dinner? Do they take care of chores? Or are they doing tons of after-school activities? And, and this can really help you tailor things to them. Like, you know, if there's a kid who's all about soccer, then you, you're not giving them a book about ballet dancing. Right. <laughs> typically. I mean, maybe. But, you know, you're usually going to then be able to tailor things to that student. And they'll be like, oh... Yeah, I can tell she was clearly thinking about me. Like one of those girls I said earlier that came up and was like, oh, Miss Dame, this book was perfect. Thank you so much. Like, she's from Haiti and has family there. And so I gave her this book that was about the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. And she's just like, oh, this was, it was just, it was great. So that, that really personal relationship helps a lot. Um, sometimes all you can do is just keep, trying you know you just keep saying hi to them and when you see them in the hallway you smile at them and just tell them that you're glad they're there and um it might not seem like it's making a difference now but hopefully in the future they'll, or yeah they'll look back and they'll be able to be like oh yeah there was somebody at that school who who was glad I was there and mm -hmm. you know maybe they didn't ever finish a book while they were at my school and that's okay but 
if they remember that they were accepted and valued, that's to me more important actually. Right. And I think research supports that. that yeah. Mentors that you have or a strong relationship you have makes a bigger difference than almost anything right. else. And so our we have a couple of reading support classes and those are probably the ones I work most strongly with. And so I I do think, you know, if you were to ask any of them who, you know, who's who's helped you at school or like who is here, who's on your side, um, and they would all feel like safe and comfortable. Mm -hmm. with, coming to me just because I'm just a, a part I'm not this like person who they only see like once every quarter right right could you talk a little bit about the cool program you have coming up still right with your read 180 class or do you Ooh, do it already? yes no it has not happened yet so I wrote a grant and um it is for these reading support kids and my English language students and they never get to go on field trips like this read support class or their ELL class is their elective. So they're not in music, so they don't ever get to go to the music festivals or things like that. Um, they're typically struggling with reading, which means they're struggling in other classes, and so their grades aren't the highest, so they never get to go on the honors field trip. And we think that they need that experience and to feel special and celebrated too instead of always watching all the other people get to go. So I wrote a grant, and I'm going to be able to take them on a field trip. And uh, one of the students, we were working on inference, and apparently this student mastered it because he looked back and forth from me to the teacher <laughs> and back and had asked where we were going. And I was like, well, it's a surprise. And, yeah, so this student did the looking at us, and he's like, we're going to a library. <laughs> and I didn't tell him he was right, but he is. He's right. We're going to a library. And so we're going to go to the Shoreline branch of KCLS. And I'm working to bring in hopefully three different people. Um, one is confirmed for sure. And she's a spoken word poet who struggled all through school, hated reading, hated school. And she's just this vibrant, amazing person who immediately makes a connection with these kids because their school experiences tend to be so similar. Mm -hmm. um, and she's like, yeah, my reading and writing, still not all that great. She's like, but here's what I'm doing with it. And so she's coming in, and I'm hoping to get um, the author Kevin Emerson to come in. Um, we had talked a while ago, and I just haven't been able to confirm, like, dates and if it's all going to work out. And then I just heard um, the keynote speaker at a conference that I went to recently. Her name is Erin Jones, and she just has this amazing take on cultural relationships and each person's individual stories. And I think that her experience would also just relate and resonate so strongly with these kids that I'm going to see if I can get her to come in also. Uh, yeah, so we're going to go to the library, and we're going to have these great speakers, and we'll have snacks for them. And um, I'm just I'm so grateful for receiving the grant, and I, I think it's going to be a great experience. Yeah, I'm super excited to hear about it and want to do something similar. So yeah, sounds so good. So it'll happen in April. I'll April. let you know okay. afterwards how it goes. <laughs> I keep on seeing be like, has it happened yet? It's Not yet. So fun. <laughs> um, and kind of wrapping up, are there any students in particular that stand out in your mind from the few years you've been teaching? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, one of them is the student from Eckstein who recommended that I read Glass Castles. Uh, she is an amazing person. She went from Eckstein on to Nova and did a lot of really great work at that school. And she is now living in Mexico. Wow. Um, she has family there anyway, and she often went back and forth from Seattle to Mexico. And um, So now she's actually in Mexico, and she's finishing her final year of high school there. And we still keep in touch through Facebook, and like we still send each other um, book suggestions. Like Aww. We'll just send each other a message, and it'll just have like a title and author. <laughs> and um, and then other times we'll have longer conversations. But so she definitely stands out to me. And then um, the the boy Luis, who I gave, we were here, mm-hmm. I will probably always stand out in my mind. And then um, there's just always, you know, a couple of kids each year who are like my frequent flyers and are in the <laughs> library all the time. And we talk and do book recommendations. And um, not that I forget them, but. You know they're they're really important and special. Yeah, true. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's the end of my show. Thanks for listening. You can find future episodes on adequateyearlyprogress.com, iTunes, and now the Microsoft Podcast app. Thanks to the band Inspira's song "Follow the Waves" for the upbeat music you are dancing to right now. Thanks to freesound.org for the Creative Commons license for user S-B-Y-A-N-D-I-J-I's alarm bell sound, user Totia's yeah sound, and user mental sanity off for the background chatter sound. Thanks for listening and talk to you next in a couple weeks.